Did you know Montel uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to forecast spot prices, inflow to reservoirs, wind and runoff river production? We can improve forecasts for your individual power plants anywhere in Europe. Contact us at ai.motelnews.com for more info. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast. Bring you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we look at what's currently driving European carbon prices. This month, prices have ranged between 22 euros and 28 euros. So joining me, Richard Sverison, to discuss carbon market dynamics is Ingvild Sörhus, who's a carbon market expert at Refinitiv. A warm welcome to you, Ingvild. Thank you, Richard, and it's really nice being here. You're always welcome on the podcast, uh, Ingvild. Let's start today by discussing current market dynamics. So we've seen, I mean, since we last spoke, I think the only thing that's quite certain here is these prices are very volatile. This market has moved quite a lot. What are the main drivers at the moment? Good question. It's a lot of different drivers. Of course, we have seen carbon moving alongside kind of the positive vaccine use reacting to that as well, especially the when the first like results from the third phase test of the Pfizer vaccine and the, then the Moderna vaccine test results came in that uh, moved carbon alongside all the other markets. So it's also taken cues from equity market as it has been since March when you first had carbon plunging and then recovering together with equities. But on top of that, it's also this week on Tuesday, we had the announcement from uh, the European Commission that the auction start will be, or the auction start in 2020 will be delayed. Normally, it starts kind of in the, in the beginning of January. Next year, they said due to technical reasons, it will be delayed until end of January, beginning of February. So kind of a prolongation of no supply from auctions. I mean, the auctions will stop in the middle, middle of December as they normally do. And then they won't kind of resume until uh, the end of January at the earliest. And also they announced the cap for phase four. The commission have recalculated the cap, removing UK from the UTS cap and also calculating, because the cap will be reduced at a faster pace from 2021 and onwards. That has Mm. been known for a while. And they kind of gave this number now on Tuesday. So especially, I think we saw a bullish reaction then on on Wednesday because of this, especially this auction delay news. I think now on Thursday, the market is a bit kind of bearish again. I mean, you have this discussion on the 2030 emission reduction target for Europe, and that was a supportive factor for carbon clearly in in August and September when the commission proposed this 55% 2030 target for greenhouse gas emissions in Europe. And then also the European Parliament supported the 60% emission reduction target for 2030. Now we're waiting for the member states to agree. And it's set to be a council in or EU counts or EU summit 10th and 11th of December. And now it seems that it might kind of could be that the 2030 target is pushed out of the agenda because there are so many things piling up when kind of the budget and Brexit and other things. So it uh, remains to be seen if it will be on the agenda for 2030. So 
I think that was kind of put forward in the news on Wednesday and Thursday. We see kind of market reacting a bit to that probably today. In terms of the budget issues, then Poland and Hungary threw a spanner in the works here. And, and, and do you think that may push, if I understand you correctly, Will, you're saying then that that could push the 2030 discussion off the agenda or maybe delay it? And is the market feeling, is it quite jittery about that then? I'm not really sure what the market has priced in. It's a bit kind of difficult to assess. I mean, even if you have the climate target on the agenda for 10th and 11th of December, it's not certain that you will get the result or kind of an agreement on the 2030 target. I mean, it's um, especially some of the Eastern European countries has raised their concerns about raising the 2030 emission target to 55%, saying that kind of they lack details on how this will impact their regions, their industries. I think it's tough negotiations going on. I mean, it's Germany who holds the presidency at the moment. And they have stated in their presidency that they want to kind of deliver on the 2030 target before their presidency ends at the end of the year. But I think it's not certain that we will have a 2030 target, even if it's on the agenda for the 10th and 11th of December. It depends on how much the Poland and Hungary and other Eastern European states are demanding and if the other countries are willing to to give in on on that. So weeks and weeks of horse trading probably here. But uh, and again, the only thing that's certain is is that it's going to be very uncertain. Yes. How about the outlook for next year, Ingrid? I mean, okay, we're talking about the coming weeks and in December. But if we look at the whole 2021, the start of phase four, What's going to support or pressurize prices? I think for the first thing, kind of in the beginning of the year, and probably kind of a factor for the rest of the year as well, is, as you say, the phase four. So the next trading phase for the EUTS is starting in 2021. The EUTS companies that need to report on their emissions, they're reporting the 2020 emissions in end of March. And then they need to kind of hand in allowances at the end of April. And between phase three and phase four, you can't use phase four allowances. So anything that is issued in 2021, so that means all the UAs coming on auctions next year, all the free allocations, I mean, it might not be necessarily handed out for free before compliance deadline, but those allowances cannot be used. So you need to use EUAs that was issued or have been issued in phase three for your 2020 compliance. So I think kind of this uncertainty and also this maybe the psychology in the market that you believe that someone is, are not aware of this rule yet might be a supportive factor for the end of the year and also the beginning or first quarter of next year. So, so this phase three, phase four transition risk for could be then a supportive factor for the beginning of the year at least. And then it's also an important year when it comes to policy. So even though we have a 2030 target in place, it's so many details that needs to be settled for the EUTS directive. And I mean, it's so many parameters that will be kind of adjusted and could have a big market impact. And in next summer, the commission will put forward a proposal for a new EUTS legislation. So the changes that will be needed to meet a new emission reduction target. And I think 
there will be a lot of continue to be a lot of lot of focus on the policy. So even even if a 2030 target is set, it's still a lot of parameters and factors that will be very important for the market dynamics up till 2030. Could you highlight some of those parameters for us? Maybe the top three, if you like. Yeah, so I will say kind of the house as the linear reduction factors. So that's the, the factor that says how much the cap is reduced per year. So of course that needs to be adjusted in order to meet the 2030 target. And then it's kind of discussion about this um, rebasing of the cap. Because now the uh, cap is quite high compared to actual emissions. And we had a review of the EU ETS directive prior to phase four, which was concluded in 2018. And then there were kind of people voicing that you should really rebase the cap so the, that the supply should be more aligned to the demand side. And that, that idea was uh, circulated by the commission in the impact assessment that was kind of accompanying when they proposed to have a 55% emission reduction target for 2030. So that will be interesting to watch. And I think also the market stability reserve discussion will be very important. That was the savior for the EUTS. I mean, the EUTS has been struggling quite a long, long time on for many years with this oversupply. And you had these policy interventions first. You had the backloading, holding back allowances to try to kind of rise the price again. And then you got this more structural reform, this market stability reserve that kicked off in 2019, where you hold back allowances from the market, from auctions, when kind of it's an oversupply in the market. So this was probably one of the most important factors of why we saw the price rise in 2018 and why we see prices at the levels we are seeing today, because they're kind of better rebalancing the market and you, you know that it will kind of tighten the market once you have, have oversupply in the market. And we in Refinitiv, we see that when we do modeling for kind of emission trajectory up till 2030 and kind of implementing the policy changes that are proposed by the commission, we see that the power sector is rapidly greening. So we see emissions are dropping quite fast and we also see a need for a MSR to be working, working, even though kind of you get the tighter system, it will be an important instrument. And of course, now it's working, removing 24% of the oversupply each year. It's kind of set to go back to 12% intake rate to from 2024 and onwards. This is one of the things that they will discuss in the intake rate, the thresholds of when the market stability reserve should be active and not so really kind of assessing the functionality of the market stability reserve. And of course, it was scheduled to be a, a review of the, markets, um, the MSR regardless of a new target. But of course, now it will be looked in parallel with the overall revision of the system. So these three things are probably at least for the supply and demand balance up to 2030. I think they, these three things will be key to watch. Absolutely. I mean, and that's a very... Very good summary there. I mean, but this MSR reform, is that really just changing the cap by the back door in a sense? Yeah. Yeah. I would okay. say that. Okay. I mean, it was supposed to be kind of a, a tool for better balancing the market. But we see kind of the importance of the market stability reserve now. And I mean, prices have been quite 
quite high compared to, for instance, the fundamental picture has been quite bearish this year with COVID and we expect emissions to drop quite heavily this year due to kind of uh, less demand for the COVID destruction. But it's still kind of holding up. And I think you know that the MSR will work on this additional surplus in the market. So in that sense, yes, it's you didn't do the rebasing before uh, <laughs> or when you did the review of phase four. But I would say that MSR is working as kind of year-on-year rebasing of the cap. So, of course, if you decide on the rebasing, you need to also look at the MSR because you can't do a rebasing and have MSR on top of that because MSR is working with the lag. So, of course, then you need to look at the whole package together and see the consequence of, of the rebasing and how then the MSR should work. You said you expect emissions to post a fall for 2020 when they come to the reporting at the end of March next year. Do you have a number for us, Ingvil? Is it 5%? Is it uh, 10%? You know, or less, much less than that? Uh, we expect emissions to drop from, from 2019 levels at 16%. 16%? Wow. 16%. Yeah. Of course, we've seen kind of a big drop in emissions from the power sector, but also then from the industry sector. I mean, we've seen much lower demand and less coal running. Uh, I mean, for Germany, it's like 30% less coal uh, running in, in 2030. And I mean, of course, a combination between lower demand and also cheap gas and lots of renewables. So, of course, kind of, I mean, we saw a massive drop in, in 2019. It was uh, around 9% from 2018 to 2019. Most kind of due to fuel switching taking place, less coal running compared to gas. And then from 2019 and 2020, we see kind of a 16% drop on top of that. So That's substantial. Hmm. I mean, we've seen, you know, prices touch 30 on a couple of occasions this year, Ingrid. What's your expectation for, for next year? Are we going to return to 30 and move above it? Or? It's a very good question. It's, uh, as you say, it's quite, quite volatile, a uh, volatile market. For Q1, we have a price forecast of 29 I mean, we're still kind of stuck with the old framework and it depends a bit kind of how soon the market is pricing in kind of tightening of the framework for uh, the years to come. Of course, policymaking processes takes a lot of time in EU. Of course, the first thing is that the Commission will come forward with a proposal next year. It will take time and then kind of the European Parliament and the European member states start to work on this in parallel. Uh, coming up with their amendments to the proposal and changes how they want to see the directive be. And then when you have Parliament agreeing on their position and the member states agreeing on their positions, they will meet and then they will try to negotiate a common position. And then you, of course, when they have agreed, you need to have some, some leeway in order to implement all these changes as well. So, of course, it will take time before legislation will be changed in order to reflect a new target. So, so we have kind of a bit careful trajectory in the beginning or kind of over the next few years before it really kind of starts to go up towards kind of the mid phase. And then towards the end of the year, we have kind of quite a big, steep uh, trajectory for our price uh, forecast. So we expect prices to range around at 28 for next year and then uh, up to 32 in 2024 and then from 2025 it's up from 35 and then in 2030 we'll uh, go to 89 euros. Interesting. Ingrid, you, you talked a little bit earlier about the power sector and how they were, you know, becoming much more or decarbonizing quite rapidly. 
we've seen in the in, in the third quarter a lot of these companies uh, reported hedging numbers. Is there anything that sort of jumped out at you from these numbers? Well, it's um, I mean, it seems to be that they're quite active. <laughs> mm-hmm. Our impression is that they are kind of keeping still kind of active in hedging and uh, are following more kind of the same pattern as they normally do. So even though we have quite a lot of lower lower emissions and probably, I mean, depends on the recovery of the economy, of course, but also next year that we'll, we might see kind of lower emissions due to lower economic activity compared to kind of a normal year. But it seems like utilities are hedging as normal, is our impression at least. But what, what's the sort of medium term view here? Because as they decarbonize and burn less coal, burn less gas, then the demand for EUS, EUAs will fall. And how, how will that impact the market? So, you know, you're seeing if the big carbon emitters are suddenly producing renewable energy, then a massive amount of demand for EUAs will, you know, yeah. will be leave the market, you know. But yeah, and that's also why we see prices are kind of not skyrocketing already now, because we see kind of that emissions in the power sector are decreasing quite rapidly. Of course, the cap also is tightening uh, and the MSR is working on top of that as well. But of course, kind of, and that's also why we see the MSR going to be an important tool going forward as well, even though you've tightened the cap even more to get to a 55% target. It's exactly because you have the rapid greening of the power sector and and then, of course, less demand for EUAs. So in that sense, we're, Mm. I mean, the short-term or the short-term emission reduction potential is coming from the power sector. I mean, you switch from coal to gas or switch to more efficient power plants with less less emissions. But of course, when you do coal phase-out, you do kind of more inclusion of uh, or phase-in of renewables, then kind of towards the end of the phase four, so towards kind of the end of 2030, you will see kind of the emission reduction potential being more or less kind of exhausted in the power sector. You don't have this coal-to-switch possibility anymore because the fossil fuel that is running needs to run. So then you need to call on industry Mm. to do Mm. more kind of costly abatement options. So that's why we see kind of towards the end of the phase that it's really you need to have prices to incentivize industry sectors to do the abatement that is needed in the markets. Just to round up now, Ingrid, if we come back to, I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the, the B word, Brexit. And so 1st of January, the UK leaves the EU. What are the current plans for the UK and, and an ETS? Is it going to be its own ETS? Is it going to link to the EU ETS? Or what, what's happening here and how will that impact the market? Yeah, good question. And I think the UK installations are wondering about the same. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have, have mixed signals. Someone saying, I mean, the BICE is uh, working kind of on the UK standalone ETS. And of course, they voiced also the possibility to link back to the to the EUTS. But there has been also kind of Treasury saying that they rather will have a tax. So I think it's not really kind of clear how it will develop. We think maybe it will be a UK ETS standalone in the beginning. And then of course, I mean, UK has always been kind of an advocate for ETS and it's probably why we see the EUTS as it is today. If it hadn't been for UK, we wouldn't probably have had kind of the same, same ETS as we have today. So of course, kind of 
maybe kind of longer down the lane, we will see kind of a link, linkage between the UK ETS and, and the UTS. But uh, kind of history shows it takes a bit of time before you get the linkage. So I think we need more clarity, both kind of on the UK climate policy and the EU climate policy, which is more kind of in the making before you can start kind of talking also about linking. Absolutely. And in the sort of post-COVID world, and there are lots of other things that maybe are above on the list of priorities here. So, Ingrid, thank you very much for providing some clarity uh, in this very complex market and uh, explaining what the current dynamics are. So always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, uh, Ingrid. Thank you again. Always nice to talk to you, Richard. Thanks. So listeners, that's about all from the Montel Weekly podcast this week. You can follow the podcast on our own Twitter account and please direct any suggestions, questions or ideas for potential guests by email to podcast at montelnews.com or by direct message. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets across Europe on Montel News. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And please leave a review and rate us if you can. That helps us to improve. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you.